Welcome to the GC Podcast, a podcast to help you develop into the healthiest ministry leader you can be by sharing practical ministry experience. Hello, friends, and welcome to today's episode of GC Podcast. This podcast is devoted to exploring best ministry practices in the context of Greece Communion International Churches. I'm your host, Kara Garrity, and today I am blessed to interview Charles Fleming. Charles retired from GCI in 2019 after over 40 years of service. And during that time, he served as a pastor in Jamaica, regional director for Latin American Caribbean, and a mission developer for the Caribbean region. He's particularly passionate about the health of the church, mission, and spiritual formation. These days, he's living in Orlando, Florida with his wife, Carmen. They have three adult children and two grandchildren, Addison and Luke. So Charles, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a privilege to have you on the podcast. Well, Kara, thank you so much for having me. I feel very privileged that we can talk about mission, which in many ways is the heartbeat of, of, of the church because our Lord Jesus Christ was that first missionary who was sent from heaven. So I'm just excited to be with you. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And amen already. I mean, you know, you're already starting to preach to us. So I say, why don't we just go on ahead and dive, dive on in? The, the first thing that I want to ask you, Charles, is um, what, what does mission mean for the church? Kara, uh, that's such a great question. Uh, but before we can really talk about what mission means for the church, I think we need to talk a little bit about what is mission. And my mm. simple understanding of mission is mission is what God does. Mm. And uh, we get to participate in what God does. And so that's it. Uh, one of the things that I've been excited about is as you read the literature, uh, more and more people like Ed Stetzer, uh, who works with, uh, you know, very well known in evangelical circles, has mentioned that one of the big breakthroughs theologically is, is the recognition that mission is something that God does, that God is a missional God. Mm. And some people even go so far as to say that they've added mission as one of the attributes of God. You know, that familiar list of uh, God is ever present. He's all wise, all knowing. But in reading the biblical and studying the biblical record and just looking at the activity of the church over the centuries, uh, many people are now saying that uh, mission is an attribute of God. And, and when you think about it, Jesus was sent, and a missionary is someone who is sent. Jesus was sent by the Father. And he actually said, as the Father, as he closed his ministry, getting ready to go to the cross, that ultimate sacrifice where he expressed the love of God. You know, mission is really the overflow of God's love. So mm. Jesus coming from Father uh, with the Spirit was that overflow of love and the expression on the cross. But just before he died, he met in private with his disciples in that upper room of John 20. And he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So that was like a private commissioning for the for the disciples and when, when becoming now apostles, people who are sent. And then, of course, there's the public anointing in, in, in uh, on Pentecost, mm. uh, where the Spirit is given in a very public way. But Back in that private commissioning, Jesus literally breathed on them, says, my peace be upon you. And that, that word breath just evokes an image of the Garden of Eden, uh, where God breathed a new reality, uh, a new entity into reality, humanity. He breathed into our parents, uh, into Adam, uh, the breath of life. Uh, and so, you know, uh, the astronomers tell us that we are stardust because the physical elements of us come from the universe, uh, from the stars. But I, when you think of Genesis, we are actually God-breathed. Mm. We, we're not just stardust, but we are God-breathed. Well, in that private commissioning, Jesus is creating something new, the church. And so he breathes life into it. And that helps me to understand why he says his church will never die out because the very mm. life breath of God is in the church. And the reason the church was raised up was to participate with Jesus in the ongoing mission, uh, his ongoing mission. So mission really is explains the nature and the purpose, the nature of and the purpose for the church. 
we are God's representatives, his ambassadors. We are uh, a royal priesthood. And, and I love that term from the, um, Peter's epistle where he talks about the royal priesthood because the Bible is a book that just evokes images and you go back to the Garden of Eden and uh, we, we see God's story unfolding in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, we see the intent, the original intent of God in creating humanity. He's, he's literally created a family when he created Adam. I don't think it's an accident that in Luke 3.38, when Luke is giving the genealogy of Jesus, he says, this person was a son of such and such, and that was a son of such and such. When he gets way back, he says, and Adam was the son of God. Mm. For many years, I just thought of that as like a you know literary device. So, oh yeah, well, by creation. But when we look at Genesis 1 and 2, we see God fathering his created family. Because what does a father do? He provides safety and security. And what, what is the Garden of Eden? Well, on a planet that's teeming, teeming with potential, but not developed, God places Adam, but not in the undeveloped wilderness. He carves out, he creates a garden. So for the first time on the planet, there's what we would call, we humans call culture. There's agriculture and horticulture. God creates a safe place for his children. And then you get this picture of him pointing to trees and saying, these are for food. What does a parent do? He provides the physical needs uh, of his children. Uh, so he provides the physical needs, but also the psychological. God is keeping company with Adam. And then mm. God says these words. He says, it's not good for this male to be alone. And so he creates one like him, one equal with him, and declares the two, man and woman, image bearers. There's an equality in Scripture. So we see God's heart. I, I am, I've created a family that is capable of multiplying. I'm taking care of their physical needs, their safety needs. I'm taking care of their psychological needs. And then he's made us to have a need for purpose and significance. And so he then says, you are my image bearers. You bear my, you represent me. This is almost like a priestly role. I want you to view what I'm doing here in this garden. And for me, the Garden of Eden is, is like a model home. Uh, it's interesting, Kara, when I first moved in, Carmen and I moved into this house here in Orlando. We drove up from South Florida and we saw all the beautiful models, you know, on a, in, the, in the office. But I told the, the, the agent, the real estate agent, I want to see the property. And he says, you don't want to go there. It's just swamp and mosquitoes and trees. <laughs> and I go, I want to. At the time, I don't know why I did it. But now I look back, I, I, I got a picture of what Eden was like because we, we went, and he was right. It was swamp, it was mosquitoes, it was trees. But then six months later, we moved up, and there was a subdivision with infrastructure, streets, and electricity, and, and water, and a beautiful home, the home that we wanted. And uh, even in our fallen state, we are doing what God intended back in the garden, where he said, multiply and fill the earth. I want you to do to the rest of the earth what I have done here. I've taken this section of the planet that's teeming with potential, but I've, I've developed it as a model to you of what I want you to do. This was God's dream. And, and we see that God had a bigger purpose. He was, he was going to be mentoring Adam and Eve. He, he, he's empowering Adam. He says, you know, you get to name the animals. That's not just giving mm. task responsibilities. It's giving authority because you are, to use the words from Genesis, you have to rule with and under me. You, so it's a, a kingly role, it's a priestly role, was God's intent. And we read of a tree of life that, in a way, I don't understand that God was going to allow them, if they made the right choice, to somehow transition from mortal to immortal, to borrow Paul's words. But, uh, you know, and so we know that it was eternal life on. on uh, that was being offered if they made the right choice, because he says, once they sinned, I'm barring you from this tree because I don't want you to live forever. Because he knew the kind of hell on earth we would create. Mm -hmm. And there was no way he was going to allow us to impose on ourselves an eternity of misery and allow us to contaminate the beauty that is heaven, his heavenly realm. And so 
you know, when you read Genesis, and when I get to the end of chapter two, I, it's almost, if, if Genesis were a movie, we would cue the ominous music. And very often when I read the end of Genesis two, I'm actually hearing the theme from Jaws. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> now that may not be a good representation, but I think you know what that, what that sounds like from Jaws. But we know what comes in, in Genesis three. Uh, we call it the fall. And uh, at that point, we recognize from the rest of scripture that the triune God, that sweet society, as the Quakers call the Father, Son, and Spirit, they had a choice to make. They, had, they have chosen freely to create us, and out of the freedom of their love, they have created us, and they want us to love them back in freedom. They're not going to impose us. They're not going to force us to love them. So they've given us a choice. We can choose to let God be involved in our lives, and, and, you know, think of the beauty of that picture in Genesis 2. It says, in the cool of the evening, God comes looking for them. But what do humans do in the cool of the evening? It's an evocative phrase. We sit back on the back porch in the evening, you know, when we have the time and we commune with each other. God was not just task-oriented with Adam and Eve. He was enjoying them. So God has created a family to enjoy them and enjoy him, the family to enjoy each other but also to be involved in the family business because he's sending Adam and Eve now to replenish this earth, to fill this earth with life and to be the priests who would bring out the full potential of the planet to the glory of God and also to bring joy to, to ourselves. So that's the heart we see in Genesis, a God who says, I've created a family and I want to invite them into the family business. But of course, our parents went prodigal. And so... If this were a TV series, we would have to get the backstory at this point. And Genesis 1 gives us an, a glimpse into that backstory where there was a time before time, if mm. I could put it that way, where the triune God had a conversation, let us make humans in our image and likeness. And they made this decision. But once the, once the, once the fall happens, that prodigal move, we find that a, God says, we are not going to live through eternity without our beloved family. So now God goes into the phase of regathering the family. And so he sends Abraham uh, to a new land to build a relationship with God. He raises up Israel to be uh, an anticipation of redemption because they were to be a nation representing God's ways. It literally says in Exodus 19 that they're to be a kingdom of priests echoing uh, Genesis. You're going to be a kingdom of priests representing what life under my rule can be like. And we know Israel failed, but ultimately Jesus was sent. And he self-identified as one who is sent. He says, for this reason I was sent to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God, the rule of God in our lives, this loving, generous, benevolent uh, rule by our God who just loves us and wants us to be a part of the family and wants us to, to live on into eternity in doing the family business because in revelation it tells us that we then get to inherit all things and we will reign with him so i don't know what that's going to be like i don't speculate i just know that if god says he wants us to be kings and priests with him it goes all the way back to his original intent and it's going to be good i, I look forward to that <laughs> yes so, so i think you see if we if we think of god's story and see god's story in this way we, we see a god who is sending and sent and so what, what does that mean for the church? It means that we exist as God's called out people mm. to represent him, to be that royal kingly priesthood, as Peter puts it. And therefore, we worship God and, and you know, and I'd really appreciate in our church the way we've come up with these love avenues, but we worship God. Uh, we are building a family that is loving and enjoying each other, but we also understand that we exist not for ourselves, but to go forth, to be sent forth. So that'd be my answer. What does a mission mean for the church? It, and it helps us to understand the very nature and the purpose for the church. We're not called up because we're better or, more, or special compared to others. We're just privileged to join Jesus in his love, ongoing labor of love on this planet. Hmm. Amen. Thank you, Charles. I mean, that is such a rich... Um, just full of of meaning and 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 God's story. It's not just you know mission is a thing that we think about or do, but it's it's 
part of who God is and and who we're purposed to be as as the church. And so, you know, I'm I'm wondering because often we can think of mission as just something that that we do maybe one time a year or one one activity or um, maybe just something that we think about or intellectualize. What what do we risk when when we do neglect missional rhythms that have depth and richness to them? Uh, Kara, we risk so much because First of all, we're missing the fullness of who God is. Mm. You know? And uh, I love to tell that story because I think story, rather than, you know, there's beauty in the, in the traditional view of uh, creation, fall, redemption, new creation. You probably saw that as a structure behind the story I told. But rather than putting it in these sparse terms that are almost sound theologically, you know, out there, uh, God, God has created to be a storied people. We live out of stories out uh, that trigger our imagination. And, and so Eden is not like Camelot. It is not some mythical, we think it might have happened and we hope it happens again. It's a reality that tells us the heart of God. Mm. And so we, the, to answer your question, we're, we're missing a piece of who God is. He's a father <clears throat> who has created a family. And there is a son who is that older brother that, did not leave when our parents went prodigal. He stayed at home. But unlike the older brother in the parable, when he stayed at home, he totally identified with the father because he is God like the father. And, and when he did leave like the younger son, he came for a different reason. He came to rescue us. Mm-hmm. And so we miss a dynamic of Jesus. You know, one of the things that has struck me is in Hebrews 3, 1, we read that we read, we get to partake in the very ministry of Jesus. And it is described in two ways, the apostle and high priest. And we spend a lot of time on the high priest part, which we need to, but we don't really develop the apostle part, that Jesus is the original sent one. Mm. So there's a whole dimension to Jesus that is missed if we neglect uh, mission, that Jesus is the missionary. And then, of course, we run the risk of just becoming a closed society, shutting ourselves off from the world, protecting ourselves. Or on the other hand, we become judgmental and look down on the rest of the world rather than seeing we're a bunch of prodigals who have been privileged to know Christ <laughs> and be saved. And now we get to join Jesus in reaching out to our brother, or, you know, our siblings who are prodigals still in the way we were. So I think that's some of it, that our attitudes are malformed our hearts are also malformed if we miss the heart of God in the, that is represented by mission and by Jesus as the missionary. Mm. Yeah, that's really powerful because, again, it comes back to what is mission and it's at the heart of who God is and who Jesus is as the sent one. And that, you know, uh, makes me, me think about uh, another um maybe angle or experience of of who we are as his followers and what it means to experience and and grow in who he is. I mean, when this when this podcast episode um, is released, it's going to be in in the worship calendar, ordinary time, and it's a time when we think about uh, being disciples and being sent in disciple making mission. And so, like, how are these missional rhythms that we're talking about actually um, participating in this sentness? that is at the the heart of of who God is how it, how is it um connected with discipleship and and being a disciple of Christ what a great question kara and you really put your finger right on it the whole concept of sentness in other words if it is true and and it certainly is what paul said in galatians 4:19 that until Christ is formed in us, if that is our quote-unquote destination, in other words, that, that as, as Christ by his Spirit works in me and transforms me into his image, he's discipling me, then I want to have an identity of being sent. And so, mm. you know, and so I would say three things in response to your question. There's identity, there is a posture, and then there's the habits of mission. And let me explain what I mean. I think Maybe I can tell it with a story. I read Michael Frost's book on Surprise the World, The Habits of uh, Highly Effective 
uh, missional people. I read that about five or six years ago, and I led a discipleship group and also had the opportunity to, to teach some of it to a congregation. And here's the mistake I made. I went straight to the habits, mm. eat with people, uh, you know, bless people. And it never worked. <laughs> None of us changed in any way. We, we got excited for three or four weeks, and then just was like, you know, like the dew before the rising sun, it evaporated. And then uh, uh, about a year ago, Anthony Mullins, who, as you know, is the regional director for the Southeast, and I uh, support Anthony in what he's doing, uh, uh, he sent the book to me, and I'd forgotten about the book. And this time I read it all the way through. And at the end of it, Michael Frost says, these habits are intended to help us grow into an identity of sentness. So uh, what I would say is I made an, a huge mistake. I just went straight for behavior. And we need to act from the very beginning. I'm not saying that. But unless we integrate it into the idea that we are developing uh, an, an identity of being sent, it will not last. And that's where posture comes in. I, I see posture as an, or, an attitude, an orientation. Mm. Part of becoming like Jesus and growing into sent is that we begin to have a posture that says, I want to get in out there and I want to share some of this wonderful news with others. So missional rhythms... I think we have to do all three at the same time, but maybe at the beginning, stress that this is about affecting your identity. And, and you know, I'm teaching a class on missional living at GCS right now. And one of the things I've, I've tried to help people to do, to understand how we grow into the image of Christ is to say, let's look at the I am statements in our lives, mm. you know, and, and, and there are a number, a cluster of I am statements that round out our identity. For example, you might say, you know, I am a, a woman. I would say, I am a man. Uh, we're beginning to identify ourselves. Uh, we might say, I am a citizen of the United States. And that's our social location because it gives us a history, a sense of belonging. Uh, uh, and, you know, it, it, it also gives us a sense of purpose. So, and then we might talk about our profession. I'm a teacher, a truck driver, uh, and we've rounded out. And one of the challenges I've given the students is to say, do you include in your I am statements? And does it come from your heart? I am one cent. I am a fellow missionary with Jesus. That there's an intentionality that says, when I take Michael Frost's book and I start inviting people to eat with me and I start seeking to, to bless people who are, that maybe are not Christians, am I at the same time saying, Lord, help me so that it becomes, I lean into this as, a, as an, the posture of my heart is I want to be with Jesus as he ministers to people that I happen to meet and maybe I get to participate Am I? And, and so I, I'm trying to use the I am statements that, and to add to that cluster, rounding out my identity. I am one cent. So I'm trying to use that in language as a way of helping me and reinforcing that what the action is doing. And then when you're out there sharing with people, Jesus it becomes very evident. You, mm. you see the way he works. You say something that you thought was a casual comment. And a few weeks later, somebody says, you know, that really helped me. And you go, well, I hardly remember saying that. It must have been the spirit. <laughs> so, so, so to me, one of the rhythms for growing in personally is that we recognize the need for action. We need to go into action. We need to be involved in the love avenue. But we also need a posture, which is like spiritual formation. We need to be part of uh, the faith avenue where we are, you know, living life on life with members of the family but we're looking for ways to invite people who are not yet aware of their membership in the family to join us. And, but at the same time in our devotions and in our conversations, we're saying, Lord, I am just grateful to be one sent. Can you help me to change my perspective of not understanding that, that I can, it, be, it becomes natural. And obviously this will take time. You don't take on something at a deep identity level overnight but there's some intentionality and a systematic approach. So that's how I'm trying to approach that. Yes. And, and you know, what I really like about how, how you've just talked about this is discipleship is, is a, about transformation, 
right? Mm-hmm. And it's 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 not just that behavior modification. And so if if being sent, if if in ordinary time we're thinking about who are we as disciples and and who are we as being sent in disciple making mission, it it does come down to that identity. And is this coming out of growing in? our identity in Christ? Or is it just something we think that we're supposed to do to kind of check something off off a list, right? Um, and you mentioned earlier too that that part of the heart of mission is what it what is God doing? And mm-hmm. so when it flows from identity, I, I can see that I'm it's it, I'm sure that it would keep us more um Christ-centered in that way. Cause it's not about, well, I did this missional thing. But yes. when it comes from our identity in Christ, it's, oh, this is what God was up to. And I just had the privilege to participate, to come exactly. alongside. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's excellent. That's excellent. Yes. And yeah. so you did mention the the avenues as as well. And so I think that, um, you know, it's really important to think about how we practice this uh, the missional rhythms together as as a church community, because as as you said, mission is the the purpose of the the church. And mm-hmm. so if if mission is foundational to, to why the church exists, missional rhythms um and, and missional rhythms aren't just, you know, an activity to do, but part of the heart of of God and, and who he's making us to be as his sent people, then they're not just activities um, it, that are, are secluded to the love avenue, right? They, they show up, missional rhythms show up across all aspects of ministry, all aspects of the being of the, the church. And so I, I'm wondering, you know, what are some examples of, of what this can look like? Because the Love Avenue maybe is where we do concentrate um, and give focused attention to missional rhythms. Um, but what does it look like to, to pay attention to missional rhythms across all avenues of ministry? I, I like that question. Just before I answer it, could I just hit one thing in terms of growing into this image of sentness, we need, to we need to recognize that the church does not have a mission, but rather God has a mission and the church is the instrument of that mission. So it, it, mm-hmm. it's more accurate to say God's mission has a church. This is the, uh, the expression in our world, in the, in the way Israel was supposed to be a, a presence of God of what a kingdom looks like. We as individuals and as a corporate body are God's uh, representatives. We are the only institution that Jesus says, I put, I, I sign off on this. It'll never die out because it is that important to God. So, so I think that's part of the whole, uh, I put alongside the I am clusters, this idea that we need to allow the spirit of God to help us to move from saying mission is optional. Well, some people are missional and some are not. No, every Christian uh, should have an identity of being sent, which brings me back now to to your question. Uh, When I look at the three avenues, I I just thank God for it because, you know, having been involved with the transformation of our church, been you know, from back when it began in in 1995, as I recall, God has done a remarkable transformation of the cultural life of what was WCG and is now GCI. Uh, we have come to know God. The, the who question, who is God, has transformed us. We, we know God in a different way. And because of that, we know ourselves in a different way. And we see other people in a different way. And one of the things that has struck me with the, the students that are in the, the missional class, uh, living class is just the energy and eagerness to go out on the Love Avenue, to mm. the, it's the question is how do we do it because we we're committed you know that's the posture the the leaning it forward that I see in in the in the twelve students, which tells me that the idea to come up with these three avenues is the Holy Spirit saying we now need a way to 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 focus and channel this energy that has been building up in us because of the incredible transformation of our culture so. We now have a structure, and I love the name avenues because what happens in avenues, things flow. Yes. <laughs> and so, so when I look at them, my first thought is every one of us wants to be an expression of and a representative of the hope avenue because we all respond to a God with worship. So we want we want our church to have a very good, solid leadership, you know, love avenue group that is leading us. But all of us want to learn to 
to better worship God. Uh, so that everybody, that's for everybody. The Faith Avenue is where we do life on life. And, and really and truly, a high priority in my mind for us really is to begin to foster and cultivate connect groups because they are a way of putting some structure within churches. But everybody, even people involved in the Love Avenue, need the Faith Avenue. And then I'm back to sentness. Everybody needs to be sent. So when, when you talk about rhythms, when I look at where we are as a denomination, even though mission is my passion, here's the advice I would give to pastors and leadership teams, whether it's a congregation or a, or a fellowship group. I would say, you've probably got your Hope Avenue. Chances are most groups have their Hope Avenue pretty well developed because we've spent most of our human resources, our energy and our time mm. in our worship services. We're not where we need to be yet, but the RCL has just breathed a life into our congregations. So if I were a pastor, I would say, you know, in terms of rhythms, I would disconnect myself a bit. If I've been preaching four times a month, I would cut back to three. If I've been doing three, I'd cut back to two and empower some others to step up, to free up time for me to uh, to put more focus on. And then we're doing all three, but it's a matter of energy and, and time and, and, and you know effort and put more effort into, and even though I'm missional, I would put it into faith, the faith avenue and little less energy into love avenue. Why? Because mission is an overflow of God's love. We want to make sure that we as a people are being so infused with the worship, the learning to worship God in the Hope Avenue. We also want to be strengthened by the incredible disciple making that happens in the Faith Avenue. So if I could just use throw out some random numbers just to make a point, you know, if you have a hundred percent, hundred points of energy that you can give to the church because you're a bivocational pastor, you're a bivocational leadership team, you've got your family, you've got your, you know, your own self-care, your own personal growth, as well as the job. So you have a certain number of hours a week to give to the church. I would say, okay, I would do enough to keep the Hope Avenue growing and developing, but most of my energy would go to faith. But I'd also develop a few things on the Love Avenue at this stage in our history, you know, where we are. Because the stronger we are with hope and faith is the more effective we're going to be in love. And I, I'm not saying we don't do any of the Love Avenue stuff. That would break my heart because it's my passion. <laughs> but, but I'm thinking of two things that Jesus said in John 15, verse 8. He says, you know, the Father is glorified with much fruit. But then in verse 16, he says, but the Father wants lasting fruit. And, and you know, one of the things I've learned from, make, from mistakes like with the Frost book, you know, you want the fruit, so you jump in and just do the habits. Uh, but you've not laid the groundwork of deep, deep preparation, then it doesn't last. And so uh, just thinking of where we are, to answer your question, if, if I were a leader of, of a faith fellowship group or a congregation, that's some of the thought process I would have. It's a discernment not done in isolation. I would include my leadership team. I would even have town hall meetings to get a sense of what are the energy levels. There's three things I think of of a congregation, you know. It's, you know, what are the energy levels that, that people have? What is the critical mass and what time do they have? Have a town hall meeting and say, we want to, each of us to be people who are competent in the, in the hope, the faith, and the love. Uh, but how much energy do we have and how do we deploy ourselves in a way that we can grow? And, and from my perspective, and again, I want to stress, I'm a missional guy, but I think we need to add to what the strengths of our Hope Avenue, maybe for six, you know, um, again, because I'm into sustainable growth, I would say for 18 months, I as a pastor want to put a lot of energy into the Faith Avenue, get that really strong. And we do some missional things along the way because there's a lot of growth that comes from the doing, not, not neglecting that. But then once we've brought the Faith Avenue to a certain point of strength, then we really put some energy into hope. And I think what will happen is leaders of congregations and fellowship groups, if you do that, I think you're going to experience what I experience in this missional living class. I have just been blown away with in, on the level of inspiration by People who have come in with that posture, they're leaning forward and they're just saying, show me how, show me how. And, uh, you know, and so that's that's my take on it, you know, one one person's perspective. Yes. And as you're, you know, as as you are talking about even that 
that preparedness it made me think about if if mission is at at the heart of who god is and if mission is central to why the church even exists and is part of who we're being formed into as disciples as a as a sent people then then you know of of course discipleship faith avenue is is part of the foundation of being sent right <laughs> and i think mm-hmm. about even if you look at jesus's earthly ministry he didn't just pluck up the disciples and they'll be like okay now you're sent right but he mm-hmm. spent that time with them that would be akin to in our structure in our point in time in history in GCI of a connect group or something like that within the faith avenue because we do grow in time and transformation to know who God is and to know our own identity before we have that overflow in being a sent people. And like you said, that's that, that's where we get that fruit that lasts, not Mm -hmm. the, Oh, we're so excited. But then (laughs) two months later, it's like, well, we're back to the same old, same old. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Could I add something? Um, Yes. In other words, on behalf of the mission, uh, the the Love Avenue, I would say we also want to help people to recognize, and the phrase I use is, mission is done at the pace of life. I think sometimes we get intimidated, oh, we've got to do this, that, the other. And again, all I have to offer is, is, you know, most of us, what we experience. Let me share my experience of how I view mission. Uh, As you mentioned, I was a mission developer, which meant that I was traveling to something like 20 plus countries, um, helping our congregations and encouraging growth, etc. So I've had a very wide public ministry where I was on mission with the Lord. Now that I'm retired, here's what my primary mission is. And it is maybe in some ways even more fulfilling. And I think just as significant as whatever I did when I was full time in, in public ministry. I now have two grandkids. Yes. And, uh, my my daughter Anne Marie Michelle's uh, younger sister uh, lives near to us, and so when uh, Addison was born, we've spent she's now six. We spent the first two or three years uh, having Addison Monday to Friday, all day, and uh, I remember how tired Carmen and I would get. We just marveled and we'd look back and go, when we were in our thirties and forties, we had jobs. <laughs> <laughs> And we raised three kids and now this one baby. And I remember one night Carmen and I were lying in bed and uh, she just said, Charles, I love these kids, but I really am so exhausted. And so was I. And I had been reading in Luke 10 where Jesus sends the disciples out. Part of his mentoring them to to go on mission. Uh, And he says, wherever you go, tell people that the kingdom of God has been here. And I think it was a Holy Spirit moment. I just put my hand on, on her as she was lying in the bed next to me. And I said, Carmen, Kingdom work was done here today. And I just heard her breathe out and says, that makes it so significant. Because what, what's behind my thought is I've read up on attachment theory that all of us need to be solidly attached to our primary caregivers, especially in the first four years of life. And if that's not there, then we end up with a lot of the, you know, the, the insecurities that we have. And so I've seen my role as how can Carmen and I help Annie and Mike so that they're not always exhausted and therefore maybe cranky with their kids so that they can have that attachment can be positive. And so we've invested. And so what I'm trying to say is that sentness is, is, includes going out, but sentness is also just doing the things at the pace of life. Are you a grandparent? Maybe you're teaching your kids to bake. You tell them stuff like, do you know that in Jesus's day, um, chances are his mom did the baking. And you see the way you're scraping the bowl and eating the raw dough that I left? <laughs> Jesus probably did that. You're talking about the incarnation, but you're bringing it into their lives. And so yes. that is some of the teaching I would do if you go back to the scenario sketch. We're not as emphasizing um, Love Avenue fully yet. The focus is on the faith. But it is that kind of perspective I would share with people that you can be in mission. When I sit, you know... Uh, Talk about place sharing. I'm play, sharing the place with my grandkids. So now I, you know, baby shark, baby shark is like a hook in my ear, you know. <laughs> you know? 
I, I'm aware of pirates and stuff that, you know, uh, 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 in the cartoons. I got a, a repertoire of songs and of cartoons that are now part of my imagination because in sharing time with my grandkids, I'm connecting with them. I'm on mission in my living room. And so mission is at the pace of life. And, and I think if we help, we can help people to see that this first steps to mission are not some giant, we got to go some far place. No, it starts in the home. Things that are, that are ordinary to any grandparent can be made missional if we, if we just find ways to, to just bring it back to, to Jesus, bring it back to the principles and, and teachings of the Bible. And so I guess if I were to ask people to remember two things from this conversation, mission is what God is doing and we're privileged to participate with him. And mission is done at the pace of life. Can I look again at my life and see that maybe I've been more missional than I thought, but maybe I can make it even more by being intentional, just doing some mm. of the stuff I do. But we don't stop there. You know, this is not an excuse to not go out. It is just recognizing the fullness of what mission is. But we certainly want to go out. And, and uh, I would want to stress that we, even in that early 18 months that I sketched in this scenario, we want to do some things together going out and individually going out. And then when when we've got our faith avenues up to where we think it needs to be, we see that overflow, well, then we really go full-fledged. So that's, again, this is just, you know, there are many ways to approach that, but that's just one person's perspective. Well, and the, the beauty of this example that you've given, Charles, I think, is, is there's a, a holistic kind of whole life encompassing Yes. to to mission yeah. right it's not just and and i think that's part of what what um, I meant by, you know, how do mission, our missional rhythms um, are being sent extends beyond the Love Avenue. It's not just an activity or a program or a checklist or a calendar that's confined to the activities of the Love Avenue ministries. It's about our whole lives as yeah. they're shaped by God. And so, I mean, this example that you've given with your grandchildren, I think is a, a beautiful example of, of what that looks like. And that and as we lean into and are transformed into being God-sent people, then yeah. corporately together as, as a church, we bring in that intentionality, right? Yeah. And then yeah. we lean into and, and grow our love avenues in, in specific ways. But it does come out of that overflow of of who we are and who God has made us to be. And, and your example even, you know, brings up for me this, this thought or this question that, you know, when we think about rhythms and we talk a lot about, and this year we're, we're talking a lot about healthy church rhythms, but when you look at nature, like rhythms aren't um, stagnant or, uh, you know, very uh, calculated. They're often dynamic. Yes. Um, and when we, when we think of specifically about missional rhythms and mission being what God is doing, God is a dynamic God. And, mm -hmm. and so, uh, you know, I, I would think that, that missional rhythms, what mission looks like, can change from season to season. Maybe in some season, it looks like your public missional ministry. And in some season, it looks like baking with your granddaughter, right? Exactly. <laughs> and so, yes. you know, I, I wonder what, um, what would you say the discernment process can look like to discern what mission looks like in a particular season of life? I'm thinking on, on the level of, you know, like a, con well, I, I think the example I gave would, would be suggestive for individuals, you know, that you look at where you are, what energy you have, what are the opportunities you have, and you adjust to the needs around you. But thinking in terms of a congregation or a fellowship group, that's the discernment process to me is some kind of a town hall meeting, some kind of casual, you know, informal con uh, conversations with people in your group, in a fellowship group or a congregation. You know, what, what are you, let's, let's talk about your margins. You know, how, how much time do you have? And uh, even how can you create more space in your schedule for something for more missional, you know? And so, we're allowing people to speak, you know, because somebody with small kids has different opportunities because of different uh, priorities than somebody who might be an empty nester. And so yes. 
being in tune with where people in the congregation are and helping them to see how they can do mission at the pace of their life where they're at is one, one level of discernment. But then based on that, you step back, you kind of zoom out and say, okay, let's look at the aggregate of the congregation. You know, we've got an older group or we've got a younger group, we've got a mixed group. How can we now look at the needs of the community outside of us and with our energy levels, our time, uh, you know, the time that we have available and our particular gifting, uh, what are we going to do as we reach out? You know, are we going to maybe... go to a, a, a fair, you know, that's held in our city. Uh, are we going to have a vacation Bible school? What what can we do that would match a need in the community? And so you, you're scanning the community and its needs, but you're also very in tune with where the congregation is. And then you develop rhythms that, again, come back to what is not taking people too far out of their pace of life. Uh, hopefully, the love of Christ to be with him would allow them to adjust the pace of other areas of their lives and make mm. space for more of this. Uh, so, you know, th- those are some of the thoughts that I have on that. Yeah, that's helpful. That's really helpful. And I, so, I guess what I would say is, let's not try to copy some other congregation. Let's yes. say, these are the people that Jesus has given me to serve, and here we are at this stage of our lives. You know, And, and maybe well, a group that I'm very sensitive to, because in, when I was working, we had to deal with some churches that became fellowship groups and then became very small. I didn't have the beauty of the love, faith, and hope avenues. But when I look back, I realized that the Spirit allowed me to give some advice to some pastors. And, and the, the basic way I would summarize it is, if we're getting to a point where we have an elderly group and they're just down to maybe five or six people, I've seen groups that resisted the thought that maybe they needed to close. And, and it was very painful when they closed. And I've also seen groups where the past, the leader of the group said, how can I prepare people for the time if God allows this, because it's his church, this particular expression, this particular congregation that's now a fellowship group to, to cease to exist. How can I prepare them for after? And one situation I remember was there was one situation where there was an elderly lady at a nursing home who people would come to for advice. But the the thought was, how can we maybe even spend a few dollars and give her money to buy some songbooks or maybe some Bibles? So maybe she can now not, she's already said people are coming to her. She's living that Mm. sadness of people around her in the nursing home are asking for advice. She's already got the makings of a faith avenue in a sense, uh, or at least the essence of the faith avenue and the essence of being sent. How can we now equip her that maybe there could be a little bit of the hope avenue that people maybe could sing together, uh, maybe buy an instrument if somebody could play. So there, you know, there, there's that thought process that here we are at a stage in life. Uh, we are elderly. We don't have a lot of energy. Our group has for whatever reasons, young people have moved out of the area or whatever, our church is no longer viable, and we see that we may need to close the doors. How can we equip and empower people to have essence, the essence of hope, faith, and love avenues? Uh, so again, you know, it's, it's back to your question. How do we deal with the dynamic fact that, that life is dynamic and we just mm-hmm. have, we only have so much energy, so much time, and the needs around us how can we match those up based on where we are? And so that's, to me, a hopeful way of even viewing the fact that some of our uh, fellowship groups uh, are very small. Well, instead of petering out, we could say, Lord, we're going to do all we can to for growth. But if you allow this to come to an end, we want to be able, wherever we go, to bring elements of worship, of fellowship, and of sentness wherever we go. It's like we become an individual that represents what is behind these avenues. Mm. Yes. And, and I appreciate what you say about it's kind of not just copy. I call it the copy and paste, right? You don't just do what yes. another church is doing because that's not discerning what God yes. is doing in your midst. Exactly. Uh, but to do that together as a community, what whatever stage he has you in, whether it is a, a smaller um, aging group or 
or a young growing group or something in between, right? What is God doing in your midst and how can you participate in that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. excellent. That's excellent. And so we are coming up towards the end of our time. So I have a final question um, for you today and it's no small question. So <laughs> I'm wondering for, for those of us who are listening, what what are some ways that we can get started developing rhythms, missional rhythms, rhythms of of being God sent people. I I would say that uh, I would just have a couple of questions in mind as I just travel through life. I would say, you know, Jesus, what are you doing in this room as I enter it? Can mm. you show me? And uh, could you let me know if you're inviting me into it? Because some things are for us and some are not. And, mm, and mm-hmm. you know, I got these questions from Henry Blackaby back in the 2000s, his book, Experiencing God. And I actually wrote them on a, a little two by five card. This is before cell phones. So, you know, we probably <laughs> put them in there. But, and I would put them in my pocket. And, and I call that my, you know, you, the use of two by four, um, two by, the, the little four by five uh, cards was like my training wheels. If I wanted to build a new habit, I would jot down and pull them out. And I found that really helpful. Just, Jesus, uh, you know, what are you doing in this place right now here at work, in the middle of a, maybe a conflict? What are you doing here? Uh, how can I participate in, in this in a way that you'd want me to? Or we're doing some blue skying, or we're just at a, at a coffee shop. You know, what are you doing here? And, and it's not to preach, it's just maybe to enter into a conversation uh, and bring some comfort to people or maybe just to enter into a conversation and enjoy people. Because remember, God's heart revealed in Genesis is he wants people who just enjoy life together yes. and then join him in the family business, you know. And so sometimes it's just putting people at ease might be all that is asked for. So to me, that is, for me, that has been ground zero at the beginning of this journey for me. Uh, those two questions that I got from Henry Blackaby. I, I would suggest that. And then thirdly, maybe I would just say a willingness to do, well, a sensitivity to the spirit and a willingness to do something that you normally wouldn't do. You mm. know? Uh, and that to me is the challenge, <laughs> my willing to do that. <laughs> because very often, it, you know, you find that when you do push through, and I don't really want to do that, but you do it, suddenly you see the glory of God. I, I, to me, I am struck by Jesus in John 2, where a couple get married and the wine runs out and Jesus turns water into wine. And what struck me more than just the physics, you know, defying physics, was the fact that in the scheme of things, running out of wine is an insignificant thing in the general scheme of life. But what I learned from that is for Jesus, if it's significant to us, it's significant to him. And I've tried to keep that in mind um, because he taught me a lesson. One day I was reading it and I go, if you're not organized in my mind, I go, if you're not organized enough to organize your own wedding, you don't deserve a good wedding. <laughs> And the the Holy Spirit nailed me for that. He says, you have a gift of organization, but don't judge people by that. (laughs) And so so the the, the takeaway for me is, okay, I've I've asked the question, you know, what's Jesus doing and how can I join him? Uh, How, you know, what's Jesus doing and how can I join him? And okay, this is not, this is kind of inconvenient or it's not my cup of tea. Do it, Charles, is what I try to tell my because if it's significant to us, Jesus would see it as significant. So those are three things I would suggest on a personal level. That you know, that that is absolutely insightful, particularly for me. What sticks out to me is that, you know, do it even if that that willingness to follow the lead of the spirit, even if it's not something you would normally do or, or want to do or be inclined to do. Because again, as we're defining mission as what God is doing. It's what God is doing, not 
what Kara wants to do in that moment, right? <laughs> so sometimes what it means is to do something that Kara wouldn't do in that moment or wouldn't want to do. Yeah, that's excellent. <laughs> <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and challenging, but that's that's excellent, even on a practical yeah. level to think about uh, in the real life, you know, sometimes yeah. taking that step in mission means doing something I wouldn't really want to do on my own. That's good. Yeah. And the other lesson I got is you cannot let your the gifts that God gives you uh, overly shape your life because mm. then you become judgmental or prideful or whatever. Mm. You know? yeah. yeah, that's a good word. Well, Charles, I appreciate your time so much. This has been an incredibly rich conversation about mission. And I know that we are really just scratching the the surface here. So I thank you so much for sharing your insights and your experiences with us today. And I pray for our listeners that um, this helps us to to you know, follow God's leading to grow as his sent people. But before I let you go today, I've got some fun questions for you. Um, you can answer first thing that comes to mind and we're just going to have a little bit of fun with it. So are you ready for this part of our episode today? Let's do it, Kara. <laughs> all right. All right. This one, this one I think is going to be especially fun for you. What is your favorite book genre? Book genre. I love fantasy novels. You know the uh, the type of fantasy that is either space like sci-fi, or even historical novels with dragons and stuff. They're, oh they're yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ah, I like that. I like that. Okay. What is your favorite meal to cook? Oh, well, I don't do a lot of cooking, but I certainly like to do a barbecue chicken. Ooh. Well, another one I like is a almond crusted chicken. You know, as you can tell, chicken is my favorite. Yes. <laughs> Well, that sounds really good, though. Okay. Uh, if you have an unlimited supply of one thing, if you could have an unlimited supply for of one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Limited supply? Uh, probably books. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> you know, I'm with you on that one. I'm with you there. If you could live anywhere in the world for one year, where would it be? Oh, I would love to live in Europe and just go on those uh, river cruises and just visit all the historical sites. Oh, yes. That sounds wonderful. All right. If you, Charles, had your own late night talk show, who would you invite as your first guest? Uh, probably um, Michael Jordan. Oh, fun. Okay. <laughs> all right. What is your favorite activity to do with the grandkids? Oh, man. Well, we have a slack line around the back and they're very athletic. So to see them turning into little monkeys, climbing and, and falling. I just oh, love it. That's so fun. Oh, yeah. that's excellent. <laughs> All right. And last question. If you have to sing karaoke, what song do you pick? Um, Lord, have mercy on the people listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> I do not have a singing voice. <laughs> So you don't sing karaoke. That's the song no. that you pick. <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I went to Jamaica, you know, starting the church, I had to do everything and I, I had to lead work, the songs. And I basically told the PA crew, as soon as I announced the number, just turn off the mic. <laughs> <laughs> Let the people take it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, that's too funny. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Charles. Um, it's been a good time. It is our practice with the GZ podcast to end our show with prayer. So would you be willing to pray for our churches, our pastors and ministry leaders in GCI? Yes, indeed. It would be my pleasure. Father, we, we just want to thank you that above all, we see that you are fathering us. Mm. Thank you for being our father. Jesus, thank you for being that older brother, and, and I never forget the words that you said to Mary after your resurrection, before your ascension. Go and tell the brothers, I go to my God and your God. I go to my father and your father. You, you're the sibling that has regath is regathering the family, bringing all of us prodigals back into the fold. Thank you for that, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the one who has been sent forth and you live in the likes of us. And even though we grieve you, you never leave us, you never forsake us, you equip us, 
you love on us. You constantly remind us that we are the children of God. Thank you, Father, Son, and Spirit. I want to pray, Father, that your continued blessing would just pour out upon us in GCI, that indeed you would increase uh, our capacity to receive and to appreciate and to live out of the fact that the love of God, your love, has already been shed abroad. It's flowing into our hearts. Give us the grace to access that love more fully, to get into the flow, that we can be people who, in the way we live, each of us, uh, represent the essence of the hope, faith, and love avenues, the worship, the fellowship of just loving like family, and also the loving by going out. May that become more and more reality. May you bless us in all of that, Lord. And may we always remember that mission is what you do, and you've asked us to participate in mission at the pace of our lives, lives that have been reoriented because we know the nature and the purpose for which we've been called as a church. So we adjust the way we live and make a priority of worshiping you, of enjoying each other as family members, and of reaching out with your love to invite others to accept your reign in their lives, your loving reign, that they too can be translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. May, may we see many people brought to you, Jesus, as you mm. continue to seek and save the lost. We thank you and praise you. I ask a blessing on Kara and on Ruel as he does the technical part of this podcast. May this podcast be used to bless many people and the ones who listen to it go forth to bear much fruit, lasting fruit. And we pray this, Father, in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Charles. And until next time, folks, keep on living and sharing the gospel. We want to thank you for listening to this episode of the GC Podcast. We hope you have found value in it to become a healthier leader. We would love to hear from you. If you have a suggestion on a topic or if there is someone who you think we should interview, email us at info at gci.org. Remember, healthy churches start with healthy leaders. Invest in yourself and your leaders.